All righty. Come on in. Grab your seat. I'm thrilled you're here. Uh, last week we baptized 13 people and it just was too good to be true. Can we celebrate what God has done? I'm looking at a few of them here tonight baptized, just, just dripping wet with the Spirit of God and we celebrate you tonight. Uh, second thing, so, like, someone anointed this stage with oil apparently because there's like, it looks like a grease spill, right? Like if I step up here and I go out, that's not, I didn't get slain in the Spirit, that's just oil all over the stage. So whoever that is, thank you, mom, thank you. Anyway, so I'm just trying to, can someone put a cone right there? Cuidado. <laughs> um, anyway, some of you are like, oh, he speaks Spanish. Caution. Cuidado. Um, yeah, no, I'm good. I'm good, Helen. Thank you. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, double dippers. Those of you who come on Sundays and Fridays as well, I'm preaching this same sermon, hopefully just a little bit better on Sunday at 9 and 11. So don't tell me that I didn't warn you. So you've been warned. Now it's time to get into it. If you have your Bibles, turn to the back, toward the back of the book. The book is called 1 Timothy, and it's chapter 2. If you don't have it, it'll be up on the screen. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to read this text tonight, and just a little bit of a trigger warning. Some of you are going to go, whoa, (laughs) this is in the Bible? Yeah, it is. And by the end of tonight, I think you'll understand uh, where it comes from and what it is saying and what it is not saying. So hear the word of the Lord out of 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 15. It says, therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray. Men, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. I also want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but the women adorned with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. feel like someone's going to storm the stage. Some woman is just going to come at me tonight with a purse or something. <laughs> For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived, and she became a sinner. But women will be saved through child. Paul, shut up. Like, <laughs> what are we doing? Abort. Like, no. But the women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. This is the word of the Lord, and all God's people said, dang. (laughs) Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, please help me tonight. (laughs) Save me from these women who are ready to string me up. And in all honesty, Lord, we need your help. And scripture says that all scripture is God-breathed and it's intended for instruction. It's intended to make us holy. It's intended to teach us, to raise us up, to make us the people of God, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so, Lord, do it even tonight. We pray, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Lord, tonight I pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said... 
This week I was driving my kids into school as is my custom and I, I'm always, we're listening to the scriptures together as we come into town. And I, I put on 1 Timothy 2 and I could not wait to see what they were going to say. They didn't know what was coming. It's just another morning, it's just another chapter or two. And so we're at 1 Timothy 1 and they listen to it and they're like, got it, okay. And then it clicks over to 1 Timothy 2 and then right at the end of it, Wilson goes, dang, Paul. He goes, that's sexist. <laughs> another friend, uh, I, I sent this out that I was gonna be teaching on this this week, and so another friend was driving his kids to school, same thing, he's, he's doing the same practice. He had a 15-year-old daughter, she was sitting in the front seat. First Timothy 2 came up and went through, and she goes, no, sir, right at the end of it, no, sir. <laughs> like, this is in the Bible, what in the world? This feels so backward, it feels so horrendous like what is this doing in the bible and i'll let me just say this as kind of an opening thesis women should be silent in the church ought to sound strange to us not because we are enlightened moderns but precisely because we have been reading the entire bible this 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 thing this text ought to tip you on your ear and go what is happening here and when you encounter that in the bible that's not the time to run away it's the time to press in what is this doing what is this for what is god trying to say what is this being written out of contextually it ought to sound strange to us because women are everywhere in the bible leading teaching preaching prophesying and governing in the people of god so what i want to do tonight is show you this little timeline that i made and the first, let me see the first slide. So the cross there is in the center. It was too long to go left to right all the way. So the top is the Old Testament. The cross is in the middle of the story. And then we got the New Testament down below. So I wanna kinda clip through just really quickly and then we'll dive in deeper and give you a list of names of the women in the Bible. It's just a small list of the women in the Bible who were shaking it up, who were, who were doing the thing. The first is Eve, who with Adam, she is co-created equally in the image of God. She's not a complement to him. She's equal. Complement is this theological code word. Like we've got people who think that a woman is sort of a, it, oh, bless her heart, she's a plus one to the man who is made in the image of God. But that's not what we see with the first woman. Eve is made in the image of God, male and female. He created them. Next name is Sarah. Sarah, she lives by faith with her husband, Abraham. She's not being drug along uh, for his story as he's faithful to God. They both are faithful to God. They both leave their homeland. They both are ready to sacrifice their son. They both are saying our chips are on the table with Yahweh and he will lead us to a land that he will show us. We don't know where we're going, but we're going with Yahweh. Sarah, she's sort of a big deal. Jochebed is the next name. Jochebed is the mother of this little boy that we might know called Moses. And there's this edict in Egypt, hey, throw all the Hebrew boys in the Nile River, let's kill them because we, they, they're becoming too strong, we gotta shut this thing down. And so people, I mean, just child sacrifice, boys are dying right and left, but not Jochebed, you are not gonna take my baby. And she rises up and she makes this beautiful little wicker basket for her son and a basket out of the reeds and she saved her child who would save Israel. <laughs> 
And she floats Moses down the Nile by faith. She, she just knows that God gives this gift of life and I, I will not take this gift of life. I will not kill my own son. And if someone wants to kill me for that, go ahead and kill me. But this boy God gave me and I'm gonna make this little basket and maybe God can preserve his life in this corrupt Egypt. Jochebed lives by faith. And then this next name, Miriam. Miriam is Moses' older sister, Jochebed's daughter. So the mom and daughter conspiring together, working together, living by faith. And Miriam, she brokered a deal with Pharaoh's daughter. She watched her mom put Moses in the Nile and he floats down in the reed basket and, and, and Jochebed, Miriam is running down the river just watching this little basket. Is he gonna make it? And she's, she's hiding in the reeds. She's, she's praying, she's interceding for her little brother. God save his life, what's going on here? And she sees she sees Pharaoh's daughter out bathing in the Nile and she goes over and gets the basket and then Miriam jumps out of the reeds and goes, do you need any help with this baby? I'm a Hebrew girl and I know what to do and I could probably find you a nursing Hebrew mother who could come and take care of this child. And she goes back and gets her mom, Jochebed, and Jochebed gets hired to breastfeed her son. Put that in your pipe and smoke it, Pharaoh. I mean, this is a great, good work if you can get it, you know? A lot of people have to go home and stop making money to breastfeed their child. But here she is. She's getting paid to breastfeed her child. And her daughter, Miriam, brokered the deal. Miriam's a beast. You don't want to mess with Miriam. And Miriam rises up as the people of God gain strength. Moses is preserved. And Miriam becomes the worship leader of the people of God living in exile in Egypt. She's the preacher. She's the writer of all the songs. She's the one putting the words on the lips of the people of God as they sing themselves through the wilderness for 40 years. That's Miriam. Miriam is not a plus one. Miriam is not tucked back in the shadows. Miriam is not sort of precious. She's out there leading. She saved her brother's life. She brokered a deal for her mom to have a great job in Pharaoh's kingdom. And now she's grown up and she's the worship leader writing the songs that will sustain the people of God for 40 years of wandering. She's a big deal. Women be silent in the church ought to sound strange to us when you read the Miriam story. Deborah, prophetess, prophetess like don't mess with Deborah read Judges 4 and 5 she is not scared of anyone or anything and in Judges 4 and 5 she leads Israel into battle she's one of the judges of Israel Deborah and she inspired them to victory and she prophesied that God would use a woman to seal the victory Deborah the woman prophesies that God would raise up another woman to finish this war and you turn the page to Judges 5, and here's this woman, Yael. Yael. And the man of God, Barak, who failed his task of handling the enemy, Sisera, there's this really bad guy called Sisera, and Barak had a chance to finish the deal, but Barak, he, he kind of faltered in that moment, and, and Sisera goes on the run, and so Yael sees Sisera, who's the bad guy, on the move, and she says, why don't you come into my tent? And, and Sisera thinks, oh, okay, yeah, I need a place to lay my head tonight. So he comes in and he takes a nap and Yael rises up and she drove a tent peg through his skull, gaining Israel the victory. That's in the Bible. So guys, be careful when you tell the woman you want her to sort of settle into a nice biblical womanhood. Which part? Esther, C 
save the entire nation from annihilation. She was not scared. Her moment came for such a time as this. She rose up and she owned it and she saved her people. It could have cost her her life, but she, she kept the first Holocaust from happening because she threw herself in, in, in the machine and she shut it down. Ruth, a Gentile outsider, risked her life to follow Yahweh and serve her mother-in-law, Naomi. And Ruth becomes the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus Christ. Sort of a big deal. Lady Wisdom. The whole book of Proverbs is framed with Lady Wisdom in chapters one through nine, rising up and she goes out to the corner of First and Main and she says, come all of you who are simple and enter in here and I will show you the way of everlasting life and I will teach you wisdom and I will teach you understanding and knowledge. Nothing you desire will be compared to the wisdom and the knowledge and the understanding I can give you. Lady Wisdom is out on the street corner saying, all of you, who are simple, come in here. And she also watches those who ignore her go into the home of the adulteress, little knowing that it will cost them their lives. Solomon frames the book with Lady Wisdom, chapters one through nine, and and Proverbs 31 is the picture of what wisdom looks like. Women be silent in the church ought to sound strange to us, not because we're enlightened moderns who are feminists and womanists and we're trying to take the story back, but because we've been reading the Bible. That's why it should sound strange to us. Gospels, New Testament. Mary. Hey, Mary, I need you to carry the Messiah. I'm going to get the world back. I need you, Mary. Wealthy women in Jesus' ministry, they played a key role. They paid Jesus' bills. Women entrepreneurs funded the kingdom of God. (laughs) And Jesus was, was taken care of by these ladies who were knocking it down in the business world. If Jesus can submit, if Jesus can learn from, if Jesus can partner with, I think we ought to figure this out, guys. Mary and Martha, they sit at the feet of the master, and we want to make that beautiful and precious and kind of precious moments, uh, you know, idolatry. But no, Mary and Martha sitting at the feet of Jesus means that they're enrolled in a theological school, that they're going to seminary, that they're learning from the rabbi, that they're following Jesus down the dusty roads of Palestine, just like all the men who want to follow Jesus. Mary and Martha are scholars, they're learners, they're people who are paying attention and they're growing in the life of the word of God. Mary Magdalene becomes the apostle to the apostles. The apostle to the apostles. The first preacher after the resurrection, Mary Magdalene. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Hallelujah. And it was the men who didn't believe. Women be silent in the church. Shut up, sit down. It ought to sound strange because we've been reading the Bible. Early church, Junia, she's called an apostle in Romans 16, 7. Philip's four unmarried daughters who prophesy right and left. In Acts 21, they're going around the region and they're leading people into the life of the kingdom of God, owning it as prophets. And Priscilla is generally mentioned first in her relationship with her husband. She's mentioned six times in the New Testament, Priscilla is. And four out of the six she's mentioned first, Priscilla and her husband, Aquila, which was unheard of in the ancient world, but 66% of the time, we hear her out front leading Priscilla. she, She discipled Paul after he got converted. She turned a barroom brawler, Saul, into Paul the apostle. Priscilla did that. 
Phoebe is called a deacon and a leader and a ruler in the church of Centrea. Romans 16, one through two, and she carries the letter to the Romans. Paul writes this in prison and he gives it to her and she travels 750 miles and she reads the book of Romans, which is Paul's great theological tome. It, it's, it's given to and delivered by and preached by a woman. Big deal. Lydia pays Paul's bills. She is his patron, Lydia. Paul lives in her household. He's taken under her covering. He's, he's provided for. So let me ask, have women historically been silent in the church? If I were a prosecuting attorney in the courtroom, I would stand in front of the jury's box having just delivered that, and I'd say, no further questions, Your Honor. I rest my case. And Paul told us to get ready for this. Galatians 3, 28, he says, when God does his thing, when, when the spirit is poured out and people get in line with that, there will be neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There is no male or female for you are all one in Christ. He's not saying our distinctions go away. He's not saying we're some sort of monolith of, of humanity. He said, yes, you are male or female, but you won't carry yourselves against each other male or female, you are one in Jesus Christ. So some read First Timothy in a way that has Paul reversing course on the biblical narrative. Some, there's three ways of reading First Timothy two. Paul's a pig-headed misogynist, like Wilson for just a minute, my son. <laughs> Second is Paul's an old man who's gone senile. But if that's the case, you have to throw the whole book away because it's not trustworthy, it's, it's a bad document. So if he's gone senile, we can't read about the elders in the next chapter, and we can't read about prayer, and we can't, like throw the whole thing away. That, neither of these two options are doable. The third option is that Paul has good reasons for putting a very brief stop. Paul has good reasons for a very brief stop to women teaching, and only in the Ephesian church. So go with me here. Notice what Paul says. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit. Epitrepo is the Greek word. Everyone say epitrepo. That's a fun word if you want to just drop it at a Christmas party next month. Epitrepo, you know, as I was thinking the other day reading the Greek text. Epitrepo. Epitrepo. He says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. Now, epitrepo, the Greek word translated here into I do not permit is more properly translated, I am not permitting. For just a minute. Here's an example of epitrepo. You have a 16-year-old who gets a license, driver's license, and they're going out, and the first snowstorm comes around, and through the grapevine, through some friends, word leaks, that you hear that your child was going 60 miles an hour down uh, Powers, and then they pulled into Pine Creek High School, and they were doing donuts in the parking lot, and they were just being out. Yeah, exactly, that 16-year-old. God bless you. If you are the parent, you do not stand, you're angry, right? You're, you're angry because you know that it's life or death and you know that they're just trying to big dog in front of their friends and you're angry, but you do not stand up and say, I do not permit you to ever drive again for the rest of your life. You don't say that. You say epitrepo. I am not permitting. For the next month, shut it down. You got a little kid who goes to the summer pool, a little boy and 
And there's clearly do not dive signs, no diving, no diving, it's five feet, this is dangerous. And your little son is watching the, 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 the lifeguards and sees an opportunity and just throws a beautiful dive. Like it's great form. Like you're, you can't even hardly be mad at the guy. Like he stuck the landing. He looked like, you know, an Olympian out there. But the lifeguard catches it out of the corner of her eye and she starts, hey, young man, get out of here. And what do you have to do? You have to go over and act like you're mad. And you do not say, I do not permit you to ever swim again. You say epitrepo. Like, I am not permitting for the next five minutes, sit your butt down over here and get your mind right. And then you turn them back loose because you need them to go get the wiggles out. Epitrepo, I am not permitting for just a minute. This is what Paul says about women teaching in the Ephesian church. Epitrepo, just for a minute. In 1 Timothy, Paul was not making a universal ruling on women preaching. He was encouraging temporary restraint to clear up an issue. What's the issue? The issue is that they're living in Turkey in this cultural context that was fraught with this new movement, this new women's movement. There was a womanist movement, a feminist movement rising up in this region and and their goddess was the goddess Artemis. Anyone ever heard of Artemis? Artemis's chief temple was right there in Ephesus, and it was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was an ordeal. And what they had there was women going in, and it was, it was wildly promiscuous. They, they had incredibly provocative clothing. They were standing up and shouting in this meeting, and they were sort of conjuring Artemis's power. And so they stood up on stage, and, and, and Artemis was the mother of all creation in their myth. We don't have Yahweh God, we've got Artemis, and she's the one who gave birth to creation. And so these women are standing up conjuring the powers of Artemis, and they're preaching in their local synagogue. And then they meet Jesus. And then they come to synagogue the next Sunday, and they're doing that. That's just what they know. They got muscle memory. They've learned under the the discipleship of Mother Artemis. And now they go, this Jesus guy, he was dead and he's raised and we love this guy. And so we're going to follow Jesus. They come to church the next week and they're doing this. And when he says, you know, uh, like your, your braided hair and all the gold and all the makeup and all the big bombastic clothing, Paul is not saying women should look frumpy and they should keep their bonnet on all the time and they should just really hate life and be miserable. What he's saying is those women who were in Artemis' temple dressed like prostitutes, you can't come to church and do that in the name of Jesus. That's not clean. Let me shut it down for just a minute. Be silent for one second. I do not permit a woman to teach just for one second while I teach you the way of the master Jesus. Context matters. But for centuries, people have stood in pulpits like this one and beat women down. And it's unclean and it's unholy and it's being rebuked tonight, at least right here, right now with this group of people in our hearing, it's being rebuked in Jesus' name. I do not permit a woman to assume authority over a man. The, the Greek word that Paul uses there is alphantain. Alphantain is only used here one time in the Bible, and it probably means something like domineer. I do not permit a woman to domineer over the men. It doesn't mean a woman can't teach. It doesn't mean a woman can't lead. It means, hey, don't beat each other up. Don't domineer. Don't suck up all the oxygen in the room. And by the way, Paul says this to the men at the beginning of the passage. Therefore, I want men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger 
or dispute. Don't come into church flexing on people, men. Women, don't come into church dressed like prostitutes, domineering and tra- like everyone. Here's what I want you to see. In the house of God, nobody should dominate anybody. This is what Paul is saying. Women, don't domineer. Men, don't flex your muscles. Don't come in with angry and disputing. And he says, put down your power. Lift up holy hands without anger. Worship God, all of you, men and women alike. But what about this strange note right in the last verse? But women will be saved through childbearing. I wrote this paragraph out, and I just want you to follow with me. Typically, this passage has been heard like, Women can't do anything meaningful in the church and they shouldn't dress up and put on makeup and do their hair. The best they can do is be locked up in the home barefoot and pregnant. That's how this has been heard and very often taught. A woman, oh, you can't do any of that and women are stupid and deceived and sinful and all that, but at least you can have babies so keep the story, keep the human story going. That's not what Paul is saying. Do you know that the average life expectancy of a woman in the first century, the people to whom Paul is writing, was 30 years old? Average life expectancy of a woman. Why? Because they died in childbirth all the time. And who is Artemis? She's the goddess of fertility. She's the one who can save you. She's the one who can protect you. You go into the hospital, you go into home, you go into labor and you're scared because your friends are dropping like flies. If you'll just worship Artemis, Artemis will be your way through. And Paul says, no, she won't. A woman will be saved through her childbearing. Not childbearing will be her reason for living and her only meaningful thing she can contribute to the world. No, you don't have to worship Artemis. You don't have to be afraid and and get all superstitious and go and worship at her temple thinking she's your salvation. Jesus Christ is Lord and he has conquered death. And if you'll just worship Yahweh, Yahweh will see you through. And when you get to the moment where you go into labor and you're in that scary moment, God will save you through your childbirth. A woman will be saved. She won't die. It's going to be okay. But stop worshiping Artemis. Worship God alone this is what Paul is saying in this text friends we have destroyed so many people with this text and it's been needless what I want to do is talk about that unique pain just a little bit three Fridays ago we had Beth Moore here at New Life Church Beth Beth Moore was here legend 66 years old, woman of God, on her front foot, still memorizing entire books of the Bible. This lady is unbelievable. And I was here on Friday, and I knew she was speaking Friday night over there, and all day Saturday, and I walked into the big sanctuary over there, and most of the lights were out. There was a, a guy there working on the lights, and a guy there doing a little sound check, and it was, it was it. It was dark in there, and all of a sudden, I heard, Jesus, 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 Jesus. And I look over in the far corner of the building, and who is it? It's Beth Moore walking around going, Jesus Christ, we need you here tonight. Jesus Christ, we need you. Oh, come, Holy Spirit. Have your way for these women who are going to come. We pray that they would hear your word. She has no idea that anyone's in And she's just lost in her own prayer world. This is an icon. She could mail it in. She's sold so many books and she's done so, and she could, she could be, what is she doing? She's walking around our building with three people in the room going, Jesus Christ, there's gonna be a couple thousand women here tonight. Speak to them, Lord. You're so. A couple years ago, a guy 
who was pretty proud of his position theologically, was interviewed and, and they said, if Beth Moore were here, they were talking about women in ministry, he said, if Beth Moore were here, what would you say to her? And he immediately said, I would say, go home. That's dark. I mean, you can quibble theologically, you can look at the Greek, you can, please do your homework, all of that. I'm not saying don't have a position, I'm saying don't be anti-Christ with your spirit toward women. Go home, are you serious? I'd take that any day of the week and twice on Sunday. Someone who at 66 is calling out for the spirit of God to speak. She's been doing it for decades and she's still hungry for Jesus. Let's stop doing this to our women. Let's stop this. In Jesus' name, that's gotta be rebuked. My mom, my mom, yes, thank you. My mom is uh, uh, incredible. I, I love the woman with all of my life. And she and my dad have taught me everything I know. And she tells me this story of being a 12-year-old girl in Lapway, Idaho at her little church. And she was in her confirmation class. She's 12. It's a big moment in a little girl's life. And she had to do homework and memorize some things and memorize some scriptures and some statements of faith. And you're going to come and receive communion. Confirmation is a big deal. And it's a town of 500. It's a very small community. And she loves her minister. Her, her, her priest. She, she loves what's going on. She's so excited and it's the big confirmation day and she's sitting in a little circle right next to her minister like shoulder to shoulder with this icon in her life and it's a big day for her and she says to him and, and, and I asked her to write this out for me because I didn't wanna, I didn't wanna botch this. She said, uh, can a woman be a minister? She said, I can still see him recoil while saying no, no. A missionary, maybe. A minister? No. As if a missionary's a step down. Good God Almighty, a missionary, maybe. Maybe you can go to a different country and preach about Jesus, but not here. Can we quit this? Look at this little picture of my mom the pearls around her neck and she's can I can I can a woman be a minister no no a missionary maybe but not a minister and she said to me I marked that day as the day I sensed a calling from God into pastoral ministry And she's been a pastor for over 40 years and she's one of the best I've ever seen. And she preached here a few, I don't know, two months ago with my dad and I got more feedback from my mom speaking that night than a year's worth of feedback on me. <laughs> Question worth asking is why do we insist on saying things that take the courage out of people? Why? It's time to stop making women have to overcome so much just to participate in the body of Christ. Let me tell you what's happening right now. We're, we are living downstream and we're paying for the sins committed and the obstacles created upstream. But let me tell you what's happening. The dams that have held women back for so many centuries are starting to break and they have been breaking. It's slow work, but God himself is breaking them. And over the next many years, you're gonna start seeing the results. Where our mothers and grandmothers were told that they couldn't or shouldn't go to seminary, their daughters are now graduating and crossing the stage in their caps and gowns. 
Something's happening in the body of Christ and it will be for the good of the church and the blessing of the world and it will happen through our women as well. We have 22 female pastors on our staff and I know all of these women and they are all top notch. In the next year, you're gonna hear Jordan Victoria Lewis who's on our team, you're gonna hear her preach her first sermon here at New Life Friday night and it's gonna be world class. In the next year, you're gonna hear from one of the premier Old Testament scholars in America. Her name is Dr. Sandra Richter. I just got her uh, on the books here in the last month and she teaches at Wheaton in Chicago. She is freakishly wise and smart and scholarly and she's gonna come and speak. Like The goal, let me just say this, the goal is not for women to step out and swing the pendulum and dominate an anti-male world. That's not the goal. The goal is for what Carolyn Custis James and Debbie Christian got me on this this week and gave me this book that's changing my life as I'm reading it, Debbie, thank you. The goal is, is for that blessed alliance of women and men, comfortable in their own skin, each understanding what they've been made for and all of us honoring one another out of reverence for Christ. Four years ago, I got a letter and it was from Adri Ruth McCowman. She was eight years old. And she, I, I was there when she was born later that day, got to go up to the hospital. Adri, I've watched her. We, we baptized. Adri is like a legend in my mind. And she wrote me a letter at eight years old, and she said, Dear Pastor Daniel, I've been reading the Bible, and I've got some questions. Can we meet? <laughs> and I wrote her back. I said, Dear Adri Ruth McCalman, absolutely we can. And so on August 8th, 2018, Adri came in her mom's SUV and she said, she, Adri texted me from Tara's phone on the way, what's your favorite coffee? <laughs> and Adri came into my office upstairs and we sat for 75 minutes. And she had a little clipboard filled with questions because she'd been reading the Bible. And she wanted to know about this and she wanted to know about that and why is there suffering in the world? And tell me about the problem of evil. And how, what does this text mean? Because it seems contradictory. And can we, it's eight years old. I recorded it on my phone, 75 minutes of gold. And I go back and I listen to it occasionally. This young little woman of God whose heart has been grabbed by Jesus. And she's moved by the spirit and she's intrigued by the scriptures. And she's coming up to my office, bringing me my favorite coffee and grilling me. And it was so beautiful. And at the end of the meeting, I said, Adri, I've known you since the day you were born. And please know that Lisa, you know that Lisa and I would do anything for you, anything ever. So please call me anytime. But I don't know a bunch of eight-year-old girls who are asking these questions. And it might be that the hand of the Lord is on you to do this kind of work. And if you ever want to do this, you just tell me and I'll let you preach your first sermon. Well, I, you just say the word, Adri, come sign the front of all of our checks. We're all gonna be working for you one day, Adri. <laughs> but Adri, your mom is a gifted leader and the hand of the Lord is on you. And so I don't know what your future likes, but I'm saying to you, pay attention because the hand of the Lord is on you. Friends, all I want, all I want is a church where Adri can be Adri. 
and a church where Becky Grothy can be Becky Grothy, and a church where Beth Moore can be Beth Moore, and they don't have to feel like second-class citizens, and they don't have to feel like they have to overcome something just to make a contribution. Paul would never say that to us, and if you look at women in the scriptures, particularly the New Testament, where are they? They're around Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the safest place a woman will ever be. Jesus is the one who is for the outcast. Jesus is the one who lifts the woman up out of the dust and restores her to life. Jesus is the one who teaches Mary and Martha. Jesus is the one who says, of course Mary Magdalene's gonna be the apostle. The apostles, I could see it the whole time. She's gonna proclaim the resurrection first. Jesus is for you women of God. And men of God, I say to you, let's be a church that is safe, a church that's holy, a church where we honor, a church where we're humble, a church where we lay down our lives to follow Jesus and to lift these women up in any way we can, not because they need us to, not because we're doing them a favor, but just because this is what Jesus does. He lifts people up. Women of God, I say to you tonight, for those of you who have experienced pain in the presence of God's people, for those of you who have heard this text and other texts like it, Wield it as a weapon against you in the name of Jesus, I repent to you. I'm so sorry. And I pray to God that you would find over the course of the decades here at New Life Church that this is the safest place to be yourself, to rise in your giftings, whatever God has marked you to do. I pray that those gifts would race through this place and would be for the good of the world, for the glory of God, and so that you can enjoy being yourself. Can you say amen tonight, church? Stand with me, would you? I want us to take these communion elements tonight. If you don't have communion elements, just raise your hand. Our team will quickly come through the room. Helen, Lise, could you get Helen one? Right here in the front over here. We're going to wait. Okay. We need some folks over here. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Katie. Katie, right down here in the center. Thanks, Chris. Would you open up your communion elements? Anyone else? Did everyone get one? Right over here on the aisle. Thank you. What does Jesus do at the very end? He creates a place of hospitality. He brings his people together around the table. He feeds them. He gives them the, the cup of wine. And he says, this is my body, which is broken for you. I'll be shattered so that you can be made whole. I will pay the price so that you can thrive. I will go low so that you can be lifted up. And friends, this is how we're called to live together, women and men together in the body of Christ, creating a house of hospitality in the image of Jesus. So Jesus takes the bread and he breaks it. Would you break that little wafer? And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. And as often as you do this, do this for the remembrance of me. Before you receive the bread, would you close your eyes and ask the spirit of Jesus to make you hospitable, to make you kind, to make you compassionate, 
to make you gracious, to make you a safe place for everyone who comes into your presence, to, to make you one who is like Jesus, willing to lay down your life for the world. Jesus, we need you to feed us and we need you to make us these people. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, amen. You may receive the bread. Open up that cup there. On that final night, Jesus said, just before he'd go to the cross, this is the cup of the new covenant and it's given in my blood and it's given for the remission of your sins. And as often as you do this, do this for the remembrance of me. And I pray tonight every memory, every moment, some of you can easily access moments of pain, moments of wounding. And I pray tonight that the the healing, nourishing, restorative blood of Jesus would wash that wound clean tonight. So Jesus, we invite you to heal us. We invite you to wash us and make us new. Do what you do, Jesus. Make us yours. Church, you may drink the cup tonight. I want us to worship the Lord here. Take this moment. And I want us to pray into the future as we're worshiping the Lord. Here's the thought I want you to carry in your mind. Lord, make us this kind of church. Make us this kind of community where everyone can come and be themselves and thrive in their giftings as we worship tonight. Let's make that our intercession in the presence of Jesus.